Half a day to the Samsugueno Hudzung. While we host Mizu Paugu para este in a collaboration, this is a special collaboration coming at you from the KUAM Podcast Network. This is a collaboration between Fanatsu, Independent Wahan, and KUAM. And so KUAM was once again the host for this year's Nalatla Songs of Freedom Concert, Volume 5. And so this is a series in which we are talking to different performers and poets as who who shared their work with us this year. And so I am excited to be joined in conversation today with two of those poets. I have here with us Clarissa Mingiola and Nicole Quintanize. Right, and so let's get started. Go ahead and if you can please introduce yourselves, um, give, give your background, your family names, put favor, todo anosia. And so Clarissa, why don't we start with you, go ahead. Sure. Um, Hafere Guahusi Clarissa Mendiola, um, Familian Manuk, and Vincent Tikutu, Tautau Telefofo Singanahu, and Tautau Bear Goddess Tatahu. I was born and raised um, in the Bay Area of California um, in San Jose, which is in the South Bay. And um, poetry is my chosen form of of self-expression. And I feel very honored to have been able to participate in this year's Nolatla concert with my piece. Um, you know, being from out here in the States, I've um, been following um, the work of Independent Guahan and I've been following the Nolatla concert for years and sort of admiring from afar. So it means so much to be able to contribute this year. So Sisu Asmaasi for having me. Pogo Nicole, if you don't mind introducing yourself. Hafade, Guahusi, Nicole Kintanita, Familian Orong, Sumasagadu, Gita Talampogu. I am a teacher, weaver, poet, um, and I actually did the very first Natlatla concert down at Adaloop. Um, I wasn't planning on performing at that one, but uh, I performed anyway, and um, it's really cool to come back after all this time and um, perform again with Nat Lotla. And uh, I really love, uh, you know, everything that we're doing with Nat Lotla, with Independent Guahan, and really bringing the island together um, for, you know, the causes that, that are near and dear and important to us. And we are recording this in, in Zoom, and so... Um... If you can tell that Nicole is a teacher because her, it says Nicole continues a social studies. Dispenser. <laughs> In her Zoom box. Oh, and so, all right. So let's, first off, let's get into the individual pieces. <laughs> and so um, Clarissa, so first let's take a listen to your piece. I believe it's called Ars Poetica, correct? All right. I started a list which became a song. Its verses and chorus packed neatly on the page, a stone path leading always to ocean. You once asked what it was I cared about, and I know now that it is music, melody that resonates in the marrow, consonants and symmetry and waves, music that would split open a sky to make space for the flight of a dozen captive-bred birds a vibrato to ignite a swell of sea, bringing our lost money beads to shore, tumbled smooth with the bones of our children, who died in the name of a colonizer, who cared only for their strategically 
placed bodies on a war map for their intricately carved tibia. Bring them home, come home, a beat aligned with the swing and till and plant of our ancestors in the field who sang out loud to invite collaboration. The cadence of their kantan tamarita filling the air until the whole island rhymed in laughter, a refrain of generational joy. Perhaps you find this passion predictable, so let me ask you, what is a heartbeat but a prediction of life? My child once declared a song too good for his ears, meaning it moved his whole self, meaning he heard it from the gut. Let me ask you, what good is it to intellectualize music when we are a people who carry it in our bodies? In every skull-kept bedside, in every bone-tipped spear, in every strand of hair glistening with coconut oil, our language a song sung for thousands of years, alive despite every effort to wipe the melody from our mouths. From our memory we sing. It's possible the body knows the instrument as an extension of itself, a phantom limb waiting to feel, to be felt, to be voiced, to be heard, anxious for the tingle of generations gone, for the promise of generations to come. Ego bonito, and now he bets sumo, Clarissa, and so please... Give us a, tell us a little bit about what motivated you for that piece. What is the, the meaning behind it? Mm-hmm. Um, so Ars, Ars Poetica is a relatively new poem. I, I wrote it this year um, and it didn't originally exist as a video poem. That's something I did um, upon the invitation to participate in Nalatla because I wanted to add a visual element um, to help sort of elevate the experience of the piece for those um, viewing the concert and and to create a, a really concrete connection between the piece and its invoking of ocean imagery. Um, but the term Ars Poetica um, describes a poem about poetry. And I think writers can interpret that in many different ways. But the way I approached it in this particular piece was really wanting to articulate what poetry means to me and how poetry... I believe is inherently linked to our understanding of ourselves as indigenous Chamorro people um, and learning about the history of our people. I always remember something that you said, um, Senyat Bavakwa, talking about how our ancestors used poetry and storytelling and music and the Kantan Samarita to debate and to entertain and to engage with one another. Um, so I think that's something that we all really do carry in our DNA um, in the piece. I, there's a, a line that says, you know, a melody that resonates in the marrow. So I truly believe that poetry and music are um, one of the ways um, that we kind of understand how we exist in the world and how to be um, in relation to another as, oh, as indigenous. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jesus, I see. So, oh, thank you so thank um, you so much, especially that that. The, the marrow line is particularly profound because of the bones being so sacred to our ancestors. And so it being something, a reminder that something can persist even if, even if you don't quite understand how it, has, how it persists, right? It can, it can mm-hmm. still be in you. So thank you for bringing that line up. 
Yes. And actually there's, there's another um, phrase in the piece. I, I mentioned a phantom limb, this idea that some part of ourselves has been taken from us um, through colonialism, you know, something removed or something um, amputated, but our bodies remember. And that's, that's what I try to do with my writing um, poetry for, for me. And for, I think many, many artists and writers is a way of remembering who we are, a way of knowing who we are through our own lens um, and, and celebrating that. So, and not letting others, other forces, outside forces, colonial forces define that value for us. Oh, thank you. Thank you, some beautiful metaphors there. And so, Nicole, let's, let's listen to your piece and then we'll talk about it and then we'll bring the two of you in together for a sort of a, a, a wider conversation. And so, if I remember correctly, your piece is called Choral Classroom. All right, and so, Nihita Ekunuk, let's have a listen to it. As a teacher, I often look out into an ocean of faces. On mornings when the tide is low, I can see hands rise like coral clusters, jutting out of the water, hesitant and scarce, as if afraid to be scorched by the sun's rays, as if the sun had not already raised the temperature in their ecosystem. How are they to thrive in these conditions? When students are conditioned to calcify themselves into a two-by-three desk, notions of what nation they belong to coat their mind like a thick layer of sediment, suffocating the knowledge that they belong to no one. In my classroom, I want thoughts to swim through their minds like fish about what they wish this island could become. Open their eyes to what it means to decolonize. Imagine a future unpolluted by foreign power where the plastic bags and soda cans of colonization can no longer cause contamination in their waters. I want ideas to ebb and flow like waves from brain to paper to plans to progress. There is no progress without them. There is no Guahan without them. Their voices will be heard for generations. Generations. They are the makers of nations, the caretakers of this island's past and present and future. These students hold all the power. They are this island's protectors together. They will build a community, defend our people against tsunamis that threaten our democracy, grow into a reef of leaders and dreamers, determine a future they see for themselves that tells the world that Guahan is not going anywhere. They will surround this island vibrant and vast and unyielding. And it is our job to ensure our corals are thriving. Oh, wow. These are really amazing poems, profound. And so, Nicole, I mean, I think a lot of, I think um, sort of the intent of the poem, you know, is, is, is very clear, you know, talking about students, talking about education, right? And so, um, but talk to us about your motivation and the messages involved. Well, um, I think, you know, with the very first Netlatla, I believe it was when I was still working on my undergrad, right? So I wasn't a teacher yet. I wasn't, you know, so the poems I did back then were very, you know, focused on me and who I was, but I feel like over you know, over the past couple of years that I've been teaching, I've kind of seen um, and kind of come to terms and realized that, you know, the, the students that I have in my classroom, they're the next generation, right? They're going to be the ones who picks up the torch. I'm not going to be here forever. We're not, you know, we're not going to be here. So if I don't push them 
to to see Guahan for what it could be. And if I don't push them to to think counter canonically and think outside of what um, you know what the U.S. encases us in, you know, um, then we're always going to be trapped in this box, you know. And so I think regardless of what political status they choose to support, I want to actually think, you know, to, to use their brains and think about what they want for Guahan, what they want for themselves and how they're going to achieve it, right? You can say, oh, I want this as much as you want, but unless you're pushing yourself to do it and you're doing the research and you're studying and you're learning about these things, then you're never going to make any change happen. So I guess this is my way of, trying to make change happen. Yeah. Mm. No, I like that. I, I, I like that, um, that approach to it, right? It's kind of political status is this thing in which even if you have a particular perspective or, or, or option that you would want, I think the most important thing is to elevate it so that people feel comfortable learning about it and thinking about it as opposed to just kind of feeling like I got to pick one or the other, or I got to pick none at all. And so I, I like that. Uh, I like that you sort of bring that into it, that, you know, it's not just, just think, you know, and be real about your, about your future. Mm-hmm. But I and, did want to educate, you know, because I think a lot of times people are like, Oh, I'm going to support this or, Oh, I'm scared of that. So I'm not going to support that. But I think if they're educated, which is what I'm trying to do, then they won't be scared. They won't be scared to make a decision. They won't be, you know, they'll be informed when they make their decision because they're going to make their decision, you know. So it's, I want them to be informed. And so one thing, I, the, the metaphor of coral is so interesting because it is, it is on the one hand, it gives life to the island. But on the other hand, when you take coral out of the water and you put it in your living room, it's dead, right? And so I found that I, I found that as I was listening to the poem, there was a lot of interesting sort of metaphors within metaphors in thinking about how coral, so full of life, but also so fragile. Mm-hmm. Right, and definitely. So to- and um, I actually wrote this poem for Storyboard Nine storyboard 20 I can't remember the most recent storyboard um I had written it for that and the theme was um like eco poetry or something like that and um you know like I thought about how like our coral right um knock on wood we don't really get you know tsunamis or you know huge major crazy storms because our coral reef protects the island you know and I kind of focused on how like the next generation, they are literally the island's protectors, right? They, our whole entire future is in their hands. So they, you know, we have to help them be strong. We have to help them be healthy. We have to help them to thrive and survive because if they're dying, then so are we. And so is the island. And so I kind of tied that in with my students and how that's how I see my students. And so Thank you again, both of you, for for being here and for and for sharing your work, both both in the in the both as part of the concert, but also sort of in other forms. Both of you have have published in creative collectives, storyboard, and others. Um, and so, 
what is your feeling on, because Clarissa, you had mentioned earlier sort of the creativity in our culture. How can we sort of unlock that in our people? Because I think that, I think that for, for a lot of tomorrows, um, they may feel that, that this type of creativity is not in our culture, right? Sort of that let, uh, you know, let Hollywood do the, do the movie making, let Shakespeare do the poetry writing, we will do the barbecuing, you know, something like that. And so from both of you, kind of, and Clarissa, you can go ahead and go first, like just what are your thoughts on how we could, could get back to that sort of that, that, that appreciation, that daily appreciation of the creativity of our people? Um, yeah, I mean, to that, I would, I would say that it, you know, if we don't tell our own story and our own voices, then, then we allow space for other people to tell that story for us. And we've seen the way that plays out over hundreds of years of colonization on our island. And I would just say, you know, I mean, it's difficult still even for me to, to, to put myself out there in this way. Um, but it's, it's, it's um, a challenge that I have to face on a daily basis. If I'm, if I want to contribute to this movement, if I want to contribute to um, to our people, if I want to model for my own children who are also um, indigenous sons of children of of Guam, that you know um, we need to stay connected to our culture. Um, so. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I would just emphasize the fact that if we are not the ones to tell our own stories in our own voices, then someone else will do do it for us. And so we just have to put ourselves out there in this way. So true. Nicole? Um, you know, I definitely agree. And, you know, when you said earlier that, you know, some people are saying, oh, leave it to Hollywood, you know, we're not writers, we're not, you know, creative people. But that's totally untrue. You know, there's there's literally accounts where they say that the Chamorro poet is among the most respected of all the people. And, you know, so we've been doing it for thousands of years, you know, and like I may be biased, but I think that, you know, some of the stuff that comes out of Guam is or out of the Chamorro people is like really amazing. Like um, the pocket play that you guys did. Like, that's just so mind blowing. Like I, I show it to my students all the time. They love it. Um, and, you know, it brings about important issues through a creative lens, you know, it makes them think without, I guess, realizing that they're thinking, you know, oh, I'm just watching a play, but then they do their reflection afterwards and all these different thoughts come out about, um, you know, about sovereignty and about rights and about our ancestors and, um, I think, yeah, it's, it's like, like Carissa said, if not us, then who's going to do it, you know, and um, it's very, very necessary. And I think our people, our people are very capable of, you know, doing it. And if, if I didn't take like a creative writing class in high school, I never would have been here. And I never would have, you know, gone on the path that I've been on. So, um, yeah. Good. No, I think uh, I, no, I, I love what both of you are saying. And I think for, every, for anyone listening, creativity is not just Oscar nominated. It's not, you know, MFA having, although, Clarissa, I believe you have an MFA, right? And Maulika, Angenguaidzomu MFA, if you have an MFA, Biba. But it, don't, it doesn't only come from that. And I think in some ways what colonization has done to our people has made us feel that these these things only come about if you go and get a degree or if you go off island or if, if it comes in a certain form. 
and we forget that you know the the creativity the storytelling ability it's 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 there it's there but a lot of times um where people are insecure about it people don't know what to do with it right you know you have your you have your uncles who who you know always tease have such good jokes and now imagine if it wasn't just on the family whatsapp or wasn't on facebook but imagine if you actually sort of you know recorded your uncle <laughs> recorded your uncle and then said hey uncle let's like do a, let's do like a comedy show it, it it won't be netflix it'll be uh you know it'll be guamflix or something like that you know we'll we'll do a because imagine if cuz i was talking to somebody recently who was like who was like you know um they were talking about telling their parents their excuse me their grandparents story and they were like oh but you know my my grandma doesn't want to write it down and i was like just let her talk and then record it and then you write it down and then that way you actually can both write it together cuz you can also bring more into it and if you wanted to throw in words there to to you know to add more visual color to it or more emotion you could but don't think that this is something where because it's your grandma's story she has to write it you can share it with her and that's that's the lesson of the kantan samarita is it's not one person singing it's not ariana donkulu or ariana grande or whatever singing by herself you sing together the creativity needs more than just one and so no thank you for that and let's then talk about the issue sort of of the nalala concert the issue that always comes up of course because every year we want musicians poets involved we like to have artists involved as well and so let's talk about art and then decolonization how can we use art poetry in this instance or other art forms how can we use it in the sort of as a means for for furthering the quest for decolonization whether on political status or in other ways sort of in in other ways and so clarissa do you have some some thoughts to share um i'm sure i think in in any in any movement artists are so vital to the health of a movement and to the the movement actually moving forward you know not all people hear things or are able to see things in one particular way and so art comes at people from many different directions there's visual arts there's literary art um there's music you know and i think if we as creative people can can have these conversations about decolonization um about the political status of guam using all of these different mediums then we're touching many many different people um and and this kind of struggle these these kinds of movements you know inspire amazing art um and and so yeah i think that art is vital to any sort of any sort of movement nicole thoughts uh i think that art you know any form of art it's so important because it captures the moment you know it captures um the feeling how everybody felt at this time what everybody thought at this time it captures you know it's like almost like um i mean i guess a picture right but um it just takes everything and everything in that moment and it documents it and it makes it part of history and i think you know without the art you know students or 
or anybody in the looks back on the decolonization movement of Guahan will just get, you know, like documentation and, and written, um, uh, you know, court reports or, you know, newspaper articles, but no actual, you know, human pieces, right? It's literally pieces of ourselves that we're encapturing in history by creating our art. And I think that's, that's very important to the movement. And as we get to the end of this podcast, I wanted to also give you the chance because I think one thing that we can definitely encourage amongst sort of Chamorros in general is to just sort of be exposed more, to read more about what's out there, right? Is that, um, and so can you suggest any, any poets or any authors that you think that you would recommend that people read? And it doesn't have to be, um, I mean, it can be from the islands, it can be from anywhere else, but sort of uh, who would you think uh, would be good for people to, to get exposed to? And so Clarissa, do you have any uh, recommendations? Sure. I mean, I mean, first and foremost, all of the, the poets and, and musicians that were included in this year's Nalatla concert and all of them from, from years past. Um, um, in terms of other poets, uh, Lehua Taitano is a beautiful poet um, who, just like uh, Nicole and I, invokes ocean imagery in, in her writing a whole lot. Um, Julian Uggen, of course, with his new um, beautiful book, um, The Properties of Perpetual Light. I think about Kathy Jetnil Kijiner, the Marshallese poet and climate um, activist. Those are the, the ones that, that come to mind first for me. Nicole? Um, gosh, there's you know, everything that she said. <laughs> uh, all, the, all the authors that she talked about, of course. Um, Dr. Ann Paris Hattori. Um, I, I use her pieces. Sorry, hold on. <laughs> uh, sorry. So, Baba. <laughs> Dr. Dr. Amparis Hattori, you know, I use her pieces in my classroom all the time, um, from her book to her poetry. Um, definitely Teresia Taiwa. Um, you know, I, gosh, um, Hanani K. Trask, those, um, you know, strong female women who, um, from the Pacific, who just encapture what it means to be a Pacifica woman and, you know, what it means to be a fighter here, um, fighting for your people and fighting for, you know, your rights um, in, in your indigenous home. Yeah. Oh, Sidzus Masi. Sidzus Masi, thank you so much for the recommendations and the conversation. This has been uh, Clarissa Mingiola and Nicole Quintanilla, two poets who were part of the Nalatla Songs of Freedom, Volume 5, the most recent concert. And so this is the end of this episode. This has been, this episode is a collaboration between Fanatsu Independent Guahan and KOAM. This is part of the KOAM podcast network. And so be on the lookout for more podcasts like this. There should be six in total, each talking to different performers from this year's concert. Guawi host mizu ta'lu para este episode. Sidzus masi, adios este kimanadli hitalu.